Welcome to Chasing Dramas. This is the podcast that discusses Chinese history and culture through Chinese TV shows. This is Kathy. And this is Karen. Today, we are going to talk about episodes 37 and 38 of Ho Gong Zhen Huan Zhuan, Empresses in the Palace. These two episodes set the stage for what we'll say is Huafei's last-ditch effort to maintain power. The drama is currently available on YouTube if you would like to rewatch or follow along with us. If you have any questions or comments, please email us at chasingdramaspodcast at gmail.com. Episode 37 starts off with Zhen Huan meeting Cao Guiren and her daughter, Princess Wen Yi, in the gardens. Wen Yi is such a cutie pie, definitely the cutest of the kids in the show. At least that's my personal opinion. Cao Guiren is very astute in seeing that Hua Fei will only be in favor for a short little while. The two ladies discuss their plans going forward, meaning Cao Guiren and Jin Huan. Cao Guiren used to be an ally of Hua Fei, but now is friendly with Jin Huan, who is against Hua Fei. The two ladies decide that Cao Guiren will continue to pretend to be an ally of Hua Fei, while in reality, she's now team Jin Huan. Essentially, she'll be a spy. In order to strengthen this relationship between the two, Jin Huan says that she'll be Princess Wen Yi's, uh, what you would call godmother, so that the two, so Jin Huan and Cao Guiren, will have their incentives aligned. Jin Huan's next stop is to see her friend Shen Meizhuang, who is annoyed at her, as we discussed in the last episode, for being the one to ask the emperor to promote Nianfei back to Huafei. It means that Huafei has returned to favor. It's understandable that Shen Meizhuang is upset. Huafei was the one who caused her to catch the plague and also caused the fake pregnancy scandal. Jin Huan tries to explain her point of view in that Nianfei returning to favor was inevitable. Jin Huan would rather be the one to make this ask so that the emperor will feel guilty. In this conversation, we find out that the friendship between Jin Huan and Shen Meizhuang growing up shaped what Shen Meizhuang does or likes in order to not be second to Jin Huan. I guess that shows her competitive nature. Shen Meizhuang is also sad that Jin Huan seems to have everything. Dr. Wen Shichu's love, the emperor's affection, and her family's growing position in court, while she, Shen Meizhuang, has very little, or what she says, nothing. Shen Meizhuang is showing a little bit of jealousy towards Jin Huan. I think we should pay attention to the order of what she says. She says, Dr. Wen Shichu's love and affection first not the emperor's affection. This is a hint of who is more important to her. Exactly. We see a, a crush developing here, don't we? Both sides have their own perspective, and unfortunately, neither Shen Meizhuang or Jin Huan will back down. Jin Huan says her goodbyes and says she won't bother Shen Meizhuang anymore until Jin Huan has succeeded in her plan. So what is this plan? We'll figure out more about this in the next two episodes. The people that reap the biggest reward from the divide between Shen Meizhuang and Jin Huan are none other than the Empress and An Lingrong. Both of them discuss that Shen Meizhuang 
and Jinhuan cannot be allowed to grow their power within the Imperial Harem, especially Jinhuan. They cannot be as powerful as Huafei. This is why An Lingrong was trying to sow some discord between the two. An Lingrong here is just extremely fake. Her inferiority complex is on full display in this episode, too. She cannot wait to gift Jin Huan's mother items from the palace. And she fully admits this. She even says, it's my time to gift people things. This, again, is her worldview. She didn't mention any thanks about spending time with Jin Huan's family when she first got to Beijing. Right now, she just is like, you know what? I have some favor. I just want to show what I have. She even says, I felt beneath them. Now look at me. I have stuff to give too. Like, girl, that's, that's not how you should be thanking people who took you in. At least in this episode, Shen completely calls An Lingrong out on it. We have a scene later in the episode where An Lingrong and Shen are talking again. This is such an awesome scene. You just want to say, yes, girl. Shen Meizhuang totally saw through the fact that An Lingrong used her maid to tell her, Shen Meizhuang, about Jin Huan asking to reinstate Hua Fei in an effort to make Shen Meizhuang mad at Jin Huan. Shen Meizhuang knows that An Lingrong may not be as straightforward or good either. Shen Meizhuang straight up just tells An Lingrong to stop scheming as well. The entire time, An Lingrong is clenching her fists because she's being told off. She holds her tongue and again plays up the whole I'm innocent act and is very meek. But I am super happy that Shen Meizhuang finally sees through her act. Yes, somebody is calling out An Lingrong. They, she thinks that she is doing this all kind of under wraps and is very sly in uh, sowing discord between Shen Meizhuang and Jin Huan. But I love that Shen Meizhuang is like, nope, I see through you. I know that you were telling your maid to make me uh, get upset at Jin Huan. Well, An Lingrong double downs her act to be good friends or what you would call quote unquote sisters with Jin Huan. She makes some medicine for Jin Huan with some very expensive ingredients and even goes so far as to cut her own wrist to use blood as an ingredient in the medicine. Ew, that's very unsanitary, but apparently back in the day, that was seen as uh, something that would be helpful. An Lingrong brings the medicine over to Jin Huan, who notices the injury. An Lingrong goes on to say this whole speech about how she feels that her and Jin Huan have lost touch as friends. An Lingrong starts crying and hoping that the two of them can remain really close friends. So she cut herself in an effort to gain Jin Huan's trust, or at least to show that she is trustworthy. But yay, Jin Huan doesn't even drink the medicine. She has gotten much smarter. She knows not to drink anything not given to her by the imperial doctor Wen Shuchu, so she asks her maid to dump out the medicine no matter how much blood or expensive ingredients are in there. Jin Huan says that it doesn't matter if An Lingrong did cut herself. Her trustworthiness is not reflected in these types of acts. Clearly, Jin Huan is also skeptical about how earnest An Lingrong is. Jin Huan, why can't you realize you're using other stuff from her? Come on, use your head, use your brains a little bit more. I'm condensing the episode a bit, but there are two other items to talk about. Jin Huan's younger sister, Yu Rao, and her mother are able to come into the palace and visit 
Jinhuan. This is the first time that they are able to visit her in the palace since Jinhuan became a concubine. They have a lovely chat, and Jinhuan is finally presented with the opportunity to share at least briefly about her time in the palace. Her mother, though, says that Jinhuan should be careful about what she says because one never knows who might be watching or hearing. This is very true, um, and it's good to actually have Jinhuan's mom reiterate the fact. It is a heartwarming scene to see the family together. Jinhuan's mother does notice that Huan Bi, one of Jinhuan's maids, is wearing really nice clothes. Jinhuan says she treats her maids like her sisters, to which her mother says that they may be treated like sisters, but they're not actual sisters. Well, I guess at this point, she doesn't know that Huan Bi is indeed Jinhuan's half-sister. There's not much else to say for this scene other than a lot of foreshadowing of what's to come in the future. We will see Yu Rao, Jinhuan's sister, in future episodes. They sit for just a short while before leaving. They don't want to give the optics that the family is using the emperor's favor to stay in the palace for too long. This contrasts heavily with Hua Fei's family, who apparently often visits her in the palace. See, with just one small detail, you see the difference between Jinhuan and Hua Fei, and who will last longer in the Imperial Harem. For me, there's a side note. The dub, the voice dub for Yu Rao, her sister, the little girl, is the same person or same voice dub as the bubbly Chun Guirin who died. I was very confused the first time uh, I watched this. I was like, wait, it's the same voice. Is she back alive? The second item to talk about is the newfound interest the emperor starts to have towards Hua Fei's main maid, Song Zhi. One day, the emperor stops by for a meal and takes note of the maid after she's able to answer some questions very well. The emperor compliments her a couple of times, which immediately causes Hua Fei to be jealous. But there's not a lot Hua Fei can do. That evening, Hua Fei gets very mad at Song Zhi. She wants to kick her out of the palace, but she resists after being calmed down by her main eunuch. The main eunuch says, you know, right now is not the time for rumors to be spread about you not treating your servants very well. So Song Zhi is left alone. This also is very interesting because we've seen the emperor go to Hua Fei's palace many times and Song Zhi has always been around. Why now the sudden interest in her? This interest is continued into the next episode, and I actually want to discuss this a little bit later. Episode 38 focuses on the emperor's last straw with Nian Geng Yao and Hua Fei's effort to maintain her family's power plus her own position in the imperial harem. Last straw is a little bit of a strong word. I would say this is where you see the emperor seriously going on the offensive. From the start of this episode, the emperor receives many reports of the corrupt and overreaching actions by Nian Geng Yao and his underlings. This puts the emperor in a dour mood, but is still thinking about what to do. Who's delivering these reports? Why, it's none other than Chen Huan's father. Nianfei hears the news that her brother is being negatively discussed in front of the emperor. She was worried that no one can help put in a good word for Hua Fei and her family because she herself has been neglected by the emperor, and God forbid that happens. 
I think it's funny because you see in her dialogue how naive she still is and that she generally is still a terrible person. For one, she says her brother's underlings were being reported for embezzlement and bribery. She doesn't say this is wrong. She just says, how can these people be so careless? Clearly, she doesn't care about the fact that corruption is bad. She's just mad that they got caught. Second, she doesn't realize the gravity of the situation her brother is in. She's still wondering if the emperor is going to be truly mad at her brother or if this will be like previous times where the emperor sided with her brother because this is just his underlings acting poorly. She has absolutely no idea that the emperor is already really done with her entire family. But to try to protect her family and have someone be able to speak to the emperor on her behalf, Huafei begrudgingly decides to send a Songzhi over to the emperor uh, to deliver him some tea. What happens? I think everybody knew what was going to happen. But when I saw it, I was like, wow, my goodness. Songzhi stays the night and becomes a concubine. Seriously, wow, Emperor, wow. <laughs> Massive eye roll. I believe he did this on purpose. Why else would he pay attention to Songzhi in the previous episode? She's been around forever. I don't know, really? I, I think maybe she would have been too young or like she just wasn't interesting before. But I get your point. I think it's an interesting one that maybe he is doing this to uh, kind of appease Huafei for the moment. This to me, the emperor is just also scheming against her. Huafei is understandably very saddened by this turn of events, even though she was the one who sent Songzhi over. The next day, Songzhi returns to Huafei's place to continue to serve her. She tells Huafei that she's been given the position of a second-class female attendant, or a daying, which is a step up from chosen maid or guanyuzi, which is what generally maids are promoted to after becoming a concubine. Huafei has to suppress her discontent. I mean, she is the one who allowed or sent Songzhi to the emperor's bedside, so she can't really say anything right now. At least this step does indeed push the emperor to come see Huafei or be in Huafei's palace, where before he was avoiding her. This at least means her plan was a success. The emperor stops by for a meal to see this new concubine, which allows Huafei to discuss her brother. However, the emperor tells her that she shouldn't be discussing such matters uh, in front of him. With this boundary set, this promotion of sorts is getting discussed by Cao Guiyan and Jin Huan. Cao Guiyan explains that Huafei has been meaning to develop additional allies in the imperial harem to help her strengthen her position, but doesn't want to use someone who has a strong family background. Thus, she picked her trusted maid, Songzhi. Jin Huan asks Cao Guiyan if she thinks Songzhi is going to amount to anything and to be a threat. Cao Guiyan, though, is rather direct and says that Huafei was way too hasty in this decision. Songzhi is too afraid of Huafei, which means she will not be too much of a threat at all. Jin Huan is pretty funny at this point because she says that she doesn't even deign to take action against Songzhi. I guess Jin Huan sees Songzhi as a level one opponent. 
not someone she has to actually worry about being someone who would endanger her current position and status. You see this confidence, this level of confidence now where Jin Huan is just like, you know what, I, I understand and I see everything that's going on in the Imperial harem in Hokong. I have my eyes and ears everywhere. I know what's going on and I can control the situation. The next scene is pretty funny too. The ladies have all moved to the summer palace, Yuan Mingyuan, earlier in the episode, and now they're out on a walk. Jin Huan is walking with her maid and bumps into Hua Fei, Song Zhi, and Cao Guiren, who is pretending to be part of Hua Fei's group. Hua Fei saunters, and literally the only word that can describe how Hua Fei walks up to Jin Huan is like sauntering. Uh, and gloatingly asks whether Jin Huan would see the day that she, Hua Fei, would regain favor. Jin Huan is nothing but respectful towards Hua Fei, with, of course, a slight tinge of sarcasm, which annoys Hua Fei. Little does Hua Fei know that Jin Huan is the whole reason why she returned to favor. Well, not the whole reason, but was the one to ask for it. It's moments like these that showcase the difference in intelligence levels between the two women. I do appreciate now that Jin Huan is no longer meek or scared of Hua Fei, but rather she stands her ground. Song Zhu tries to stick up for Hua Fei and humiliate Jin Huan by insulting her, but Jin Huan is able to return the jabs. Taguin steps in to calm the situation and diverts the ladies away from each other. Still, an interesting and fun scene. Hua Fei is absolutely none the wiser of her impending fall. Little does Hua Fei know that in court, there are many, many, many dissenters going against her brother Yan Gongyao. At this point, Huang Shang, the emperor, is discussing at court with a select group of ministers the negative things being said about her brother. The emperor brings up an important topic that he discussed with Yan Gongyao and wants to hear from the ministers in front of him. The topic at hand is the emperor's eighth brother and ninth brother. This is a very touchy subject because these two brothers were part of the infamous coup where nine brothers all vied for the thrones or the nine lords war. In Chinese, it's called Zhuzi Duodi. The eighth brother and the ninth brother were on the losing side. They are currently imprisoned in Zongrenfu, or the imperial clan court. Apparently, these two have not been very remorseful while in isolation. The emperor asks a bunch of his ministers what to do about these two brothers. Some say to be lenient, others say to be harsh and to punish them. Faction lines have been drawn based on these answers. Huafei, in her palace, discusses these events with Cao Guiren because her brother, Niang Gongyao, has been asked what his suggestion is by the emperor. Huafei and Niang Gongyao are worried that this answer could imply something bigger to the emperor, given all the negative information um, that has been circulating about Niang Gongyao. Huafei asks Cao Guiren what her response should be or what his response should be to the emperor on this topic. Cao Guiren, the shrewd one, recommends that Nian Gongyao focus on brotherly love and past merits. She tells Hua Fei that mentioning these things will hopefully appease the emperor and also remind him of the valuable things Nian Gongyao has done for the emperor 
even though the topic at hand is the eighth and ninth prince who are imprisoned. Huafei is convinced by Tao Guren that this is the correct move. Side musing is that now that we see Huafei back in favor, Tao Guren's hairstyle and clothes are much simpler than they were before. You'll notice in the episode where Huafei is out of favor, Tao Guren's hairstyle is like super lavish. Now it's very simple again. She knows she can't wear anything too attractive in front of Huafei. I also just love that everyone knows Huafei is on her last legs except for her. Jin Huan even makes a big show of jealousy about Song Zhi at an evening gathering with Cao Guren and Xin Changzai. I find the next scene hilarious. Song Zhi is with the emperor trying to discuss politics or more specifically Nian Geng Yao. But the emperor actually rolls his eyes when she tries to lean on him. In this situation, even the emperor has to um, pretend like he likes someone. I think it's great because like I mentioned earlier, Jin Huan totally knows that Xin Changzai and Cao Guiyun are going to, I guess, uh, spread rumors or talk about how Jin Huan has been very negative towards this new concubine, this maid-turned concubine. So that's why she's saying all these things. Everything is a plan within the imperial harem. Is it me or does the emperor's wig this episode seem sort of off? It seems a bit higher on his scalp. I don't know. What do you think? Or have you not noticed? I didn't pay attention to this, honestly, but uh, great job for noticing this detail. I don't know. I just feel like it's a bit higher on his head. So, um, yeah, that's just me. Well, the episode ends with Huafei gloating to Cao Guren that her brother seems to have gotten a reprieve from the emperor. With some goading by Cao Guren, Huafei is back to relishing Jin Huan's seemingly lack of favor. Poor girl, you have no idea what's coming for you. Phew, okay, that was episode 38. Let's get into our analysis. We did most of it in our recap, um, but these two episodes focus a lot about imperial court. So why don't we talk politics today? In episode 38, the emperor, our emperor, Yongzheng, voices his displeasure of his younger brothers, the eighth prince, Yin Si, and the ninth prince, Yin Tang. That's their given names. Remember, way back in episode two, we discussed how everyone throughout the empire had to change their names if any part of their name sounded like the emperor's name. That's why here, they are referred to as Yun Si for the eighth prince and Yun Tang for the ninth prince. These two princes, or lords, are imprisoned for their involvement in the Nine Lords' War. There were several factions, including the Crown Prince's Party, the Eighth Lords' Party, the Fourteenth Lords' Party, and finally, the Fourth Lords' Party. The Fourth Lord or Prince won and is now our Emperor Yongzheng. Let's talk about the Eighth Prince. Born in 1681, he was a strapping young lad who was promoted to Bela, or a prince of the third rank, or noble lord at only 17, the youngest of all of Emperor Kangxi's children at the time. This prince, Yunsi, was always ambitious. There was a crown prince at the time, but his position wasn't stable. In 1712, the crown prince was finally stripped of his titles and demoted, no longer posing a threat for the throne. The eighth prince tried to seize his opportunity. 
I mean, throughout the years, he was constantly building his own faction, which I think was his undoing. He was too obvious. The emperor was still alive and healthy. The emperor could very much see what his sons were up to. And building factions is a big no-no. The fourth prince, or our current emperor, was much more subdued in this regard. He kind of hid the fact that he was building his own alliance and own faction. One specific incident in 1714 dashed all hopes for the eighth prince's bid for the throne. On a tour of Jehol province, or Ruhe, or modern-day Dongbei province, the eighth prince was supposed to travel with his father as a member of the imperial retinue. However, he requested leave so that he could visit his mother's grave. For his absence, he sent two eagles as gifts to the emperor. Unfortunately, when the emperor received them, the eagles were feeble and ailing. This enraged the emperor. To the emperor, the dying eagles symbolized the prince's desire for him to die. The eighth prince was roundly criticized in front of court, and the emperor even went on to say, we are no longer father and son. The emperor also cut off the eighth prince's salary, and he basically lost all legitimate claim for the throne. Seeing that his chances for the throne were gone, the eighth prince steered his faction towards the 14th prince, Yin Ti. Who is he? Why, he is our current emperor's blood brother. This faction now included the 14th prince, the 8th prince, the 9th prince, the 10th prince, and many other court officials and generals. It came down to the wire. People were waiting with bated breath at the Emperor Kangxi's bedside. But when everything was settled, the successor was the 4th prince, or our current emperor, Yongzheng. In history, the 8th prince wasn't immediately thrown into prison, but his faction, along with all of the other factions, were slowly destroyed. The eighth prince was imprisoned in the imperial clan court, which is kind of like a place for uh, like the nobility or like the imperial clan to be, I guess, punished. In 1726, four years into the reign of Emperor Yongzheng, which honestly is around the time period that this is happening, like in Jin Huan Zhuan. So there's, I think there's a little bit of a difference disconnect here. The eighth prince died shortly after in the uh, imperial clan court. The ninth prince was also in prison and died in 1726. In the drama, I can't tell if the timing is exactly right. Jin Huan has been in the palace for at least two years because we've seen two winters. This is a third summer, so I think uh, it somewhat adds up, but not exactly. This is what... What Kathy just described is just a tiny snippet of what actually happened during the Nine Lords War or Long Duo Di, but this provides some context for the emperor, uh, Yongzheng's actions in this episode. He cannot show mercy even to his brothers because they plotted against him. This is why he is so wary of Nian Geng Yao and his faction because Nian Geng Yao is trying to rise up again, potentially uh, posing as a threat against his uh, throne that he worked so hard to acquire. The subject of this, uh, I guess, Nine Lords War we've mentioned previously is um, the topic or the basis for many popular Chinese dramas. They like <laughs> those dramas are really funny because you have all of these super handsome princes that everybody just fawns over. Highly recommend watching a couple of those. 
Um, one of them is Bu Bu Jing Xin, and the other one is Gong. Definitely recommend taking a look. They aren't really historically accurate at all, but nope. <laughs> kind of have some background. So for that, please take with a grain of salt. Well, that's it for today. The chess pieces are in motion. The traps are laid. We will have to see who survives and who does not. Thank you very much for joining us today. As always, if you have any questions or comments, please email us at chasingdramaspodcast at gmail.com. We'll catch you in the next episode.